during the monastic period when largely Catholic priests left the routines of life and they went away to the wilderness, to mountains, to buildings that would later be constructed. And in this attempt to get away from the world and to live a more holy and devoted life, uh, all sorts of things emerged. In about the 11th century, a devotion called De Laudem Flagellorium began, and it was the idea of self-flagellation, that you would beat yourself uh, with all kinds of implements. They called it in praise of the lashes, in praise of the lashes. And what started in the monastic period would leak into the populace and ordinary people would start doing all kinds of strange things to brutalize themselves, especially in the idea of Good Friday. That when Christ endured this incredible suffering that we should remember that and they took it literally. If you watch the news this next week you will see people who will allow themselves to be quote crucified, nailed to crosses and raised up. And this idea of self-flagellation, it was the idea of identifying in the punishing of the fleshly desires and somehow being closer to Christ. Um, these devotions um, obviously took a turn for the wrong. To understand what Christ has done in our place on our behalf instead of us is very different than to beat yourself raw with some sort of instrument. Um, others, for example, in the 17th century in Peru, uh, some of you have been to Peru many times, but in Lima they began a noon to three event. And the Catholic population at large would spend three hours commemorating the three hours of Christ's crucifixion. Some of us grew up where you had the Stations of the Cross, and there were, these were done in Holy Week and especially on Good Friday. The Catholic Church and most churches of that type of liturgical form would do special services, and the Catholics in particular would not do Mass on Good Friday or what is known as Holy Thursday. Uh, those were separate services, but the Mass itself was not remembered or commemorated just other services. The Protestant churches uh, did different things. Tenebrae is what we loosely call our service and we do it today not on Good Friday because we know many people can't come during the Good Friday itself and so we actually use the weekend prior to commemorate Good Friday and get you and us thinking about what Christ did in our place on our behalf instead of us. Some churches will do the seven last words. Others will commemorate the Lord's table, as we will. And uh, there are different ways to remember and remind ourselves. The, the, the meaning of all this is understood best when we understand Christ's suffering, not just a brutality, not just this inhumane treatment of God, the God-man, because they hated Him, all of which is true, but because only through that suffering do we have a chance. Only through that brutality that he endured does man have hope that his, her sin can be forgiven and we can be in right relationship with Jesus Christ. In Mel Gibson's excruciating passion, he leaves it, in my humble opinion, at the wrong ending because it's about the brutality of the Savior, not about the resurrection of the Savior. And whatever the brutality may have been constructed in Hollywood's minds or in others' minds, the point is, his suffering was for you. His suffering was for me. And we identify that he took our place 
instead of us on our behalf. Burkauer writes about this body which is given for you, which we'll commemorate in a moment. It's given for us. And he refers to some of the Passion hymns, one dating back to 1630 by Johann Hiermann. Listen to one stanza. But what can cause, what can be the cause of such affliction? Alas, it is my sins, my malediction, my damning, my curse. The reason for this bitter agony, Lord Jesus, is in me. The hymn writer got it right. The reason Christ goes through that agony is because of our sin, not his. He was the perfect sacrifice in our place, on our behalf, instead of us. The blood which cleanses us is a blood of unspeakable joy, yet it's laced with this suffering metaphor. And I want you to open your Bible to 1 John 1. We'll look at one verse, 1 John 1, verse 7, as we think about Good Friday. And there are many debates about why it's called Good Friday. Why would we call Good Friday good when they crucified Christ? Some gloss it to it was God's Friday. Others say it was a holy Friday, therefore called Good Friday. It matters not why we have some of these titles, but I would suggest it's a Good Friday because it's the sacrifice that resolves our sin condition. In 1 John 1 7, 1 John 1 7, almost to the end of your Bible, if you get to Revelation, you've just gone a bit too far. 1 John, not the Gospel, 1 John 1 7, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And to understand this, let's do some opposites. If we walk in the light, is a little bit metaphorical, too hard for us to grasp. Let's talk about walking in the darkness. What would it mean to walk in the darkness? Well, we have life versus death in Scripture. We have the idea of good versus evil in Scripture, one being light, one being dark. We have openness versus secrecy. Secrecy involves secret sin. We don't sin out in the open. We sin in secret. We sin on our technology devices. We sin when we're out of town. We sin where no one can see us. We sin in the privacy of our mind, in the privacy of our hearts. We don't sin out in the open because the open exposes sin. Uh, the idea of hiding sin versus confessing and acknowledging our sin. The idea of truth versus falsehood. The idea of God's kingdom. Jesus is the light of the world. Satan is the domain of darkness. So if we're walking in the light, we're walking in truth. We're walking in the acknowledgement of our sin. We're walking in the kingdom of God, not the domain of Satan. We're walking in truth. We're walking in good. And again, John writes, if we walk in the light, and many of these things would be tied to that, the glory of the Lamb versus the eternal punishment of those will be separated. There's two results for walking in the light in this verse. The first one is we have fellowship with one another. Look again at the verse. If, condition, we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, first we have fellowship with one another. 
Now, if we look at it just by isolation, it seems like that means we have fellowship, what we call community. But the larger text of 1 John, I would argue, is talking about a Trinitarian fellowship, or simply said, we have fellowship with God. So when he's writing, we have fellowship with one another, he's saying, you get to have fellowship with God. If you walk in the light, you have fellowship with God. Certainly, you can apply it to fellowship in the body, but we can live a lie and live in darkness and still hang out with believers. We may not want to, but we can still do that. But you cannot have fellowship with God if you're living a lie. Not unlike a parent and a child when they're at odds, you don't want to be around the child, and the child hates you. When a husband and wife have a a spat, a difficulty, a, a disagreement, you can give the cold shoulder for days. You can go to work early and stay late. You can avoid him or her. All sorts of ways we can deal with it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We don't have fellowship with it. Why? Because we're not walking in a light relationship of truth, honesty, confessing our sin. That's walking in the light, so we're separated. So the same is true for God. If you and I do not walk in the light, we have no fellowship with God. Again, think of it as opposites. What does a person who does not walk in fellowship with God look like? Well, they have no interest in spiritual things. When you and I choose a path we know is wrong, when we do things we know are not right, when we enter into a relationship we know is not of God, we're automatically not going to care about the spiritual. We have no interest in God's Word, God's Spirit, or even God's people. I shall never forget one of the um, most unusual defining moments of my life was seeing a man who had left his wife Um, lived with another woman, divorced, remarried her, lived in this adulterous relationship for a long period of time. Seven years later, he decided to come clean, and he stood before a group of about this size, and he confessed his sins and his lies, along with his remarried spouse. His first line, I'll never forget it, the way of the transgressor is hard. And then he said, I greatly underestimated the loss of Christian fellowship when I did this. Where do you go for Christmas, for Thanksgiving, for celebrations? Whom whom do you call when you have great news? When you're out of fellowship with God, you have no interest in God's word, God's spirit, or God's people. Your preoccupation becomes self. uh, Our culture is a narcissistic, idolatrous I can't think of the adjectives to say that I'd like to say. Our culture is toxic. It's a waste field. And we listen to the voice of our culture. We drink too long at the culture's water cooler and we believe a lie. I am not the most important person. Others are. Christ is. I needs to diminish. Others need to take higher place in life. And we are so inbred in our lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. Money, sex, and power. You can trace all your sins back to one of those three or more than one of them. A person who does not have fellowship with God is a person who's consumed with self, not others. Now, I've known Christ for over 40 years, and I've been in, quote, ministry, whatever that means, for 30-some years now. And I've encountered 
all kinds of things. Uh, those of you who are in law enforcement or in the medical field have seen things, and I've seen those kinds of things, whether it's a suicide, a child's death, uh, a DUI that resulted in death, husband and wife who split, who beat each other. Um, I've walked into scenes that I never expected I would walk into when I was a young seminarian, learning all the right answers. Broken homes, children who make terrible decisions, on and on the list goes. And it's not that I'm ever afraid of those situations, but there's one situation that I walk into that I do not ever know what to say or do, and it's when a person does not care. Apathy. We can't make somebody care. You can shame them, you can make them feel guilty, you can do all kinds of things, but you can't make them care. A person who is out of fellowship with God does not care. You might be there today. You just don't care. Forget about your husband, wife, your son, your daughter. Forget about other people. Where are you? Do you care? And if you have no interest in God's Word, God's Spirit, and God's people, I would tell you plainly, you are not in fellowship with God. Period. If we walk in the light, John tells us, we have fellowship with God. That's the first benefit. Secondly, he says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, it's causal. We have fellowship with him and we are forgiven, I love the word, all sin. His cleansing is a removal. It's an eradication. If I wear a light-colored shirt, a white shirt, a light blue shirt, anything that's light-colored, and I get anywhere near salsa or tomato sauce, it will find its way on my shirt. And it's proportional to the, how expensive the shirt is. The more expensive it is, the more tomato sauce or the more salsa will find its way onto my white shirt. My wife keeps a supply of these. They're called Tide to Go. I have my briefcase in my car in my office, and she used to carry one in her purse. And uh, this is for her husband because he always does this. And so you, you I won't put it on this, but you blot out, and it, it does a pretty good job. It does a pretty good job. It says instant stain remover and then some toxic chemicals. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't completely remove the stain. Even if you do it by the directions right away and then you take it home and you treat it again and you wash it, take it to the cleaners, it's toast. There's always going to be a little red stain Christ cleanses us, and the word is important in our New Testament. It's not just that he just forgives us and sort of hoodwinks us. He eradicates it. He removes it. He remembers it no more. There's no trace of sin. There's always a trace of the stain. There's no trace of your sin or mine. And this is love. If we walk in light, we have fellowship with Him, and He removes all sin. He forgives you again and again and again and again 
and again and again and again and again and again. He does not throw his hands up and say, okay, after the 1.6 million time, I'm not going to forgive them anymore. I'm going to let that stain stay. By his blood stains, you and I are forgiven. He removes all trace. The ancients and others explain Good Friday in all kinds of ways. I would simply submit that if you're walking in the light, not the darkness of the world, not the darkness of self, if you're walking in the light, you have fellowship with God. You care about the things of God. And as you walk in relationship with Him, He forgives you all your sins. All. Ask the men and women to come forward now and begin distributing the elements. We will hold the elements and we will partake together as a body. Join the sea of branches waving that they were masquerading in the end. My heart rose and my throat when I heard them say, Hosanna.
From Luke 22, when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. They said to him, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and said to them, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray himself, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, Jesus was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. From Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted you, and you delivered them. To you they cried out, and they were delivered. In you they trusted, and they were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, despised by people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate the lip. They wag their head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls have ba- of Bashan have 
encircled me. They opened wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and is welted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. From Luke chapter 23. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed the crowd again, but they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And Pilate said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death, therefore I will punish him and release him. But the crowd was insistent, loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted and released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. When they led him away, they seized a man named Simon coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. The people stood by, looking on. Even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit Having said this, he breathed his last. And a man named Joseph from Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, he wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb.
our great God and King. Silent we sit. In darkness we sit. Would you help us to remember? Would you help us to reflect? Would you give us eyes to see the sacrifice that your Son made on our behalf? There is no greater love than this, than the one who laid down his life for us. The one who satisfied your wrath for our sin. The one who restores us to right relationship with you. A thank you seems woefully insufficient. But we say thanks. From the depths of our soul. Would you empower us to live in the way that we have been loved by you? It's in the honor and the glory of the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. May go in peace. And as you go, would you take some time this week to contemplate the sacrifice of the son that was made on your behalf. Go in peace.